This morning's scripture reading is Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And then the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. The word of the Lord. Indeed. Thanks be to God. Well, um, we've been listening to the parables of Jesus for a couple of months now, over the course of the summer. Anybody confused yet? Moderately, especially. Uh, I actually think if your experience of engaging with the parables of Jesus does not include confusion, at least some confusion, some disorientation, maybe even some frustration, uh, that you're not listening carefully enough. Okay, the disciples, those who had abandoned their vocations in the first century to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen carefully to every word that he said, stake their whole lives on his teaching, they were always confused when he taught in parables. Always. They always found themselves going back to him and asking him to reiterate and to explain and to unpack to them what it was that he was meaning by these parables. We should expect the same. Our vantage point at the feet of Jesus is no more privileged than theirs. We come to Jesus empty-handed beggars like the disciples, needing him to teach us and explain to us, and we should expect that we would be confused when we listen. In fact, so much so that I actually think that's one of the marks of a true disciple of Jesus is that you would allow yourself to be confused by him. There are many uh, admirers of Jesus, many people who stand and watch Jesus at a distance, who admire his teaching from a distance, but they remain at a safe enough distance to avoid confusion. They stay far enough away from him that they're able to sort of paint his ministry or the purpose of his teaching in a broad brush. They're able to reduce him to something that's more palatable to our way of thinking and our way of living. And so you'll hear people oftentimes who are admirers of Jesus reduce him in this way, make him more palatable, say things like, well, his whole ministry was really just about calling people to be a good person. Or what Jesus was really about was standing up for justice against systems of inequity. Or what he was really about was feeding the hungry and caring for the poor. Okay, these kinds of broad brushstrokes, they make Jesus more easy to digest, but 
they do not engage and encounter the true Jesus. It is far more dangerous and disorienting to be a disciple of Jesus than it is to be an admirer of Jesus. To come and sit at his feet, to draw near enough that you begin to see the full weight of what it is that he is saying and be confused and disoriented and rattled by it. Listening more carefully, getting closer to Jesus, becoming a disciple of Jesus is so disorienting precisely because Jesus does not fit into our preconceived notions of what is good. He doesn't fit into the kingdom values that we bring to the table. We always want to take Jesus and see him as fitting into our pet causes or efforts. But Jesus didn't come to support our causes or efforts. He came to save us from them. He came to rescue us from what we count as good, from the way that we think about redemption and salvation and life to the full and what it is. He came to undo all of that and show us a new way, show us a better way, even the way of God. It is a disorienting, even insulting thing to be told that we need saving from those things that we're convinced are the best things about us. And that's precisely what Jesus tells us over and over again. See, because we live in the kingdom of this world, and so all of our values and perspective are shaped by the here and now. They're shaped by what we've been able to observe and sense over the course of our lives. But Jesus is ushering in, he's revealing to us, he's awakening us to a new kingdom reality, to the kingdom of God, a kingdom that cannot be observed by the natural senses, a kingdom that can only be known through eyes and ears of faith. And so then, in the teaching of Jesus, we have a violent collision happening, a violent collision between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Have you ever been in a violent collision? Some of you, I'm sure, have, whether in a car accident or perhaps on an athletic field. I can remember as a a sophomore in high school, finally getting the call-up to varsity football. And to that point, I'd only played freshman football and junior varsity football And that first experience on the varsity football field was disorienting just because of the speed of the game, but then especially so when I found myself trotting down the field behind a play and got blindsided by someone rather larger and stronger than me and found myself on my ear with my helmet twisted around sideways. It's very disorienting to be in a violent collision. You find yourself lost. You don't know what is up and what is down, what is forward, what is backward, what is right, what is wrong. That is exactly what is happening when we encounter Jesus up close, when we sit at his feet and listen carefully to him, when we don't zoom way out and paint him with broad brushstrokes. The teachings of Jesus are that kind of a violent Collision. So take this parable that we're 
looking at today, listening to today, this parable of the weeds as an example of that. This particular parable is actually less obscure than many of the other parables that we've been listening to. Some of the parables would just leave you scratching your head and lost. This parable today seems to be rather clearly articulating something plain. The problem is what it is articulating does so much violence to everything that we think we know about life and purpose in this life that we find it still very hard to hear. So Chesney read it to us a moment ago. Let me read it again to you in its entirety. Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Who can receive this teaching? Who can stand under the crushing weight of this teaching? What sort of a master tells willing servants to leave the weeds alone? In what sort of a kingdom are weeds left just run rampant? Not for lack of resources, mind you, but by design. The master instructing the servants to let the weeds roam. Now, an admirer of Jesus might be able to wriggle out of the full crushing weight of this parable. If you zoom out far enough, squint your eyes just so, you might be able to interpret this parable as Jesus saying something simple, like live and let live, or don't judge people. But if you listen more carefully... If you move in more closely, if you go sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him, you will find a much harder word. Because the closer that you get to Jesus, the more violent the collision between the two kingdoms appears. And so here in this setting, we have crowds listening to Jesus, being enthralled by his teaching. But at some point, the crowds leave. Jesus departs from the crowds. And when Jesus has finished, the disciples draw near. And Matthew tells us, Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us, 
the parable of the weeds in the field. Now, here's the trouble with Jesus. He doesn't turn people away. Those who seek Jesus, find him. To those who knock, the door is opened. And so here we have the disciples asking explicitly, deliver to us the full crushing weight of what it is that you just meant in that parable. And so he answered. The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Jesus begins to interpret this parable for his disciples. He starts by telling them, I am the sower. I am the sower of the good seed. In other words, I have created a good world, and I have sowed it with good seed. I have filled it with life and food and beauty. Indeed, everything that leads to fullness and flourishing has been placed in creation for us. The creation lacks no good thing. God has filled it. He has given us all we need for life and joy and delight in him. And in this parable, the field is the world, Jesus says. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who has sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Jesus says, I sowed good seed into this world, and the good seed that I sowed into this world was the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God has done what the kingdom of God always does, which is to bear fruit, to fruitify to expand, to grow, to fill the world. This mystery of the kingdom has been happening from the ages, from the beginning of the ages. It has always been happening in the world. The kingdom of God goes forward. It is unstoppable. It bears fruit. It leaves only good in its wake. All of this has been happening from the beginning, but, Jesus says, I have an enemy. I have an enemy, and he's been up to no good, And he makes a lot of trouble, and he's been sowing bad seed. He's been sowing evil right in the middle of this good field, this verdant, lush, flourishing field that I've created and am tending. And this bad seed, this evil seed, is likewise bearing fruit, only it's rotten fruit, it's evil fruit. It's weeds. It's destructive. It's ruinous. And Jesus says, there will come a day at the end of the age when the host of heaven will begin to distinguish, will begin to sort the good seed from the bad seed. There will come a day when the host of heaven plucks all this work of the evil one and casts it into the fire, and only the good is left, only the flourishing, 
delightful world that I have made is left. Goodness will prevail. He says, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says, you know what happens to weeds, so it will be with my field. These weeds will be gathered. These weeds will be plucked. They will be burned. All the evil that is in this world will be rid of. And what's more, goodness will prevail. He says, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Ah, Jesus. Why did you have to include that last bit? I was just doing fine until that last little signal that all of this is somehow a riddle. Let the one who has ears hear. Up to that, I was sure that I was hearing you. We're sure that we were hearing you correctly. You were promising us that you will sort through the good and the evil. You were promising us that all these things that cause pain and sorrow and agony, all these things that bring ruin and destruction into our world, will be plucked out of our world. That goodness will triumph. That the people of God will dwell in the warmth of love. That we will shine like the sun. Yes, Lord Jesus, I agree. I can see the vision that you are casting. I am on board with where it is that you are going. I am eager to go there with you. I want to participate with you. I want to see that vision realized. I am among your servants. Indeed, I belong to your very body. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And so if there will come a day when all these weeds will finally be plucked forever, doesn't it only make sense that we get to the work of plucking now? Doesn't it only make sense that we start to participate in that ultimate trajectory of the mission of God today, that we participate in making all things new, that we start plucking the weeds with you and for you. But let those with ears to hear hear what it is Jesus is saying. Because remember in the parable, only several verses earlier, the eager, zealous servants of the Master come before him and ask explicitly, would you have us go pluck these weeds from your field? Would you have us go fight this evil? Would you have us go root up all this trouble that the enemy is making? And the master says, without equivocation, no. No. Remember what he said? Matthew 13, verse 30. Let 
both grow together until the harvest. Huh? Let all of these weeds, let all of this ruin and destruction that your enemy is bringing into our world, simply let it cause ruin, let it be, let it roam, let it run. When weeds go to seed, they increase, they multiply. It will only get worse and worse. Lord, you know that these weeds are evil. You yourself have said as much here. Why else would you be planning to pluck them into eternity? Why else would you promise that ultimately all the evil in the world will be put down, will be made untrue? Why would you stay our hand? We're your servants. Let us get to this task of joining you in this great mission. What gives here? Why is Jesus saying this? Why is the master staying the hand of his zealous and willing workers who participate in this good thing? There are so many instances in our life, in our lives, aren't there? Where a weed presents itself and so easily we could simply pluck it up. And the master here is saying to his workers, no. Why? Do you remember why? He told them why. He said, because if you go to pluck up the weeds, you're going to wind up pulling up a lot of wheat. Do you hear what Jesus is saying in that? He's saying we're lousy farmers and we can't tell the difference between weeds and wheat. There are a lot of things in this world that we count weeds that God counts wheat. There are a lot of so-called righteous causes that we are absolutely committed to that we believe are the best things about ourselves. I'm the sort of person that stands up against injustice in this way. And God's saying, I don't see it that way. Your fight against injustice is truly opposition to my kingdom. A lot of what you think is doing good is opposing what it is that I am doing in the world. Remember, Jesus did not come to support our causes or our efforts. He came to rescue us from them. We need as much rescuing from our righteousness as we do from our evil. We're that desperate. We're that blind Jesus says, let the weeds and the wheat grow together and all sort it out in the end. In other words, stop trying to fix my field. 
I know you think you're doing it for me. Stop trying to fix your nation. Stop trying to fix your city. Stop trying to fix your neighborhood. Stop trying to fix yourself. Your efforts and your causes, many of them, they oppose my work. Let the weeds and the wheat grow together. Now, he does not say here that we have to be happy about this. He doesn't say here that we need to celebrate the presence of weeds or embrace this reality that there's weeds in our world or become stoics and pay no attention to the weeds. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't correct the workers who come to him and identify the weeds as evil. He says, yes, there is much evil in the world. There is an enemy of mine who makes a lot of trouble. And the weeds that are in the world are devastating. Letting the weeds and the wheat grow together means there will be a lot of mourning to do. We suffer the weeds. We rejoice in the wheat. We endure the oppression. We delight when captives are set free. It is agony to live in a world where weeds and wheat grow together. And Jesus is saying, if you try to do anything other than endure and suffer and forgive that agony, you'll only make it worse. You are not helping things. On the contrary. So we mourn, and we rejoice, and we grieve, and we delight, and we experience all that full range of human emotion, like God does. And also this. In our mourning of what is broken in the world, in our suffering and enduring the weeds of this present field, we need to pay attention. We need to keep listening carefully to the words of Jesus. Because it just might happen that those things we were absolutely convinced were weeds wind up being the very wheat that sustains us. There's a kingdom collision happening here. And for the disciples of Jesus, the ones nearest the violence of that collision, it may take some time to get our bearings. It may take some time to begin to be okay with receiving a kingdom where weeds are allowed to grow. 
may take some time to be okay receiving a kingdom where a crucifixion is called good. Let's pray. Father, your son teaches with hard words, words that we resist. We need your spirit. We need your help to see and savor this Christ and receive him as the Christ he is rather than the Christ we would construct. Father, give us eyes to see, eyes of faith, to see the beauty and the glory of your kingdom breaking into our world and to see it most in that great picture of redemption, the unjust, bloodied, crucified Lord. Father, would you rescue us from our ideas of redemption and save us into the cross? Grant us that eternal life and joy in you, we pray. In the name of your Son, amen.